Begin transmission. Transmission. The Frontline Gaming Network presents Art of War. Strategy and tactics. Discussions with the best players on the planet. The Frontline Gaming Network presenting Art of War with Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Art of War podcast. Joining us today is Jack Harpster, who went 5-1 at LVO and is probably one of the better players that you've not heard a lot about. But before we get into that, I have to point out that uh, you probably found us on the Frontline Gaming Network, and if you haven't, you should definitely check it out. The Frontline Gaming Network has some excellent, excellent podcasts on it, including Chapter Tactics, um, which has got just some of the best players on the planet, Brandon Grant, Scary. And our own favorite rhino, Pablo. <laughs> and we also have signals from the front line with the granddaddy of competitive podcasting. They've been on for like 10 years or 20 years or some, some insane number. Uh, but they keep you up, up to date on what's going on in the world of 40K. And last but not least, there's the second best podcast on the network. And that's 40K Stat Center. And Val and the Falcon break down uh, ESPN style what is going on in the world of 40K. Uh, also, Frontline Gaming just this week released a brand new mat that they wanted us to mention, and it is beautiful. It's like this frozen tundra with volcano or uh, volcanic um, underground poking up through it, and it is it is gorgeous. So you guys should definitely check that out. But anyway, let's let's talk about Jack. Uh, but I guess before we do that, let me introduce my co-host Nick Nadavati, who's one of the best 40k players in the world. Uh, he's been playing forever. I think he's been playing since he was like. I don't know, in the womb, basically. Uh, and so he's won everything from Adepticon uh, to LVO uh, to the World Team Championship. I guess it was actually called the ETC at the time. So, um, Nick, why don't you go ahead and introduce us to Jack? Tell us a little bit about him, and then we'll get into the discussion about the Eldar. Yeah, Jack is one of uh, probably one of the best players you've never heard of in 40K. Um, he used to be my playtesting partner back when I lived in Jersey. He lived like 10 minutes away. We'd play like at least once a week. And he's really helping me refine a lot of lists that I used to success. Uh, he's won multiple GTs himself, including the Nova Invitational Battle for Salvation, which is one of the harder tournaments over in the Northeast. And then um, he placed third at BAO last year. Um, he came up with a really innovative uh, Eldar slash Harlequin list, which has a lot of units you see very, very rarely, if at all, ever. Um, and did really well with it going 5-1 and one at LVO. Uh, so I thought it'd be an awesome thing to talk about on our podcast here today. So, uh, Jack, why don't you just say hi and go through what your list was. Hey, guys. Uh, yeah, so my list was, um, it's a council list. So I have um, so I have a detachment with Eldrad, uh, same hand Warlock, Three units of eight Storm Guardians, nine uh, Shining Spears from same hand, so it's a mixed attachment. Uh, I have an Alatox Supreme Command with uh, uh, Farseer on a bike, a nine-man Warlock Council um, on bikes with eight Spears, uh, and Ivrain. And then I have a Frozen Stars from Harlequins, a Frozen Stars um, Battalion with a Troopmaster with a Kiss, a Shadow Seer who's my Warlord. A unit of five troops, a unit of 11 troops with three kisses and two embraces, a unit of 12 troops with three kisses, three embraces, and a solitaire who's going to always get Chegarax Rose. So you've kind of, you're taking Harlequin troops in a battalion. Um, I don't know if you've read the internet ever in your life, but the yeah, once or twice. Uh, why, why are you taking these large units of troops and stuff? I guess so, my first so after having played with uh, them, I think they're actually uh, Harlequin foot troops are one of the are probably the best unit in Harlequins. They're cheap. They give you a lot of CP because they're troops, um, which is something you need in uh, in Sir Council. So they fit naturally into that, and they're very tough to kill. Uh, they can go up to usually a minus one to hit, minus one to wound, and three up in Vuln from Strat, and that's just really hard to shift, especially if a unit of twelve of them is just sitting mid board or gets a wrap or something, they move very quickly, they hit reasonably hard in combat, not super hard, but reasonably hard, and they don't cost too much. So they just take up space in the middle of the board to kill some stuff, and they're really hard to kill. How much are one of your large squads with uh, the weapon mix that you have? I think it's around 170. Awesome. Um, I thought you were going to say something in the twos. No, no, it's about, it's 171, I believe. And it's, uh, it, for, what, for what you get, it's really good. 
especially since you have to take troops for Sir Council to get the to get the CP that you need to make the army work. So it's a lot cheaper of an upgrade than including a full another unit. Yeah, I've I've looked at Harlequin troops before um, to kind of fill battalions for Harlequins because their troops are not expensive if you don't buy the weapons. So eleven points a guy is really not so bad. Like it's comparable to like a range of eleven or twelve. I forget. They're eleven. Okay, yeah. Um, so like it's it's no different really than buying like a five man ranger squad or something. Yeah. Um, but you've gone, you know, you you try to make your troops actually useful. So basically, you put another hundred or so points in them, hundred fifteen. Uh, you've taken 12 guys instead of five, you've taken an arrangement of weapons. Obviously, this goes along with the Spear Council strategy of not giving up kills here and there, and then also they become useful, functional units. Um, how do you generally use them? Well, usually I don't deep strike anything. The entire, at OVO, you get a ruin in your deployment zone where you can hide everything. That's that's key. If you don't get that, don't run this list. Um, so you get a ruin in your deployment zone and everything goes in there. Uh, everything in the army is super fast because uh, you can move multiple times with everything because um, the Seer Council is in Windrunner ho Windrider Host, which gives you the ability to move after you fight. Um, you have Quicken. You have everything at a pl like plus three to cast, so it's super easy to get powers off. The troops can double move with another power, so everything goes in that building. And then turn one, usually... Um, a unit of troops can move, like you, you have the option at any time to move a unit of troops out, uh, double move them into the center of the board, maybe get a charge off, and you just make the minus one to hit, minus one to wound, and move block your opponent out of the center of the board. Um, it, there's, there's a lot of ways to combo the list together, so sometimes you might move a unit up, move the Seer Council up, have them shoot and fight, and then bounce back behind the, the Harlequin troops, that's pretty powerful, keep them from uh, charging into you by body blocking them. Sometimes the troops get a wrap and just just wall off the center of the board. Like, they literally just string out and just wall off as much uh, board space as possible. Uh, the troops usually don't kill that much, but they'll kill something. They'll kill screens. They'll tie up. They move super fast. So they just move into the center of the board and body block. Interesting. So one thing I'm, I'm trying, trying to wrap my head around here is you're just doesn't I don't really understand what it's trying to do to win the game. And by that I mean like if you look like Eldar planes, you know, they fly around, they shoot stuff. It's, it's fairly simple as a strategy. Iron hands, it just out efficiencies you and it shoots you. It's, it's an efficient strategy. So how does your list actually win games? What are you trying to accomplish with it? So you're right. It's not the it doesn't have the most damage output right up front. It has a lot of smites. Um, between Ivrain, Eldrad can throw down smite and executioner. I have uh, Shadow Seer. I have all that. So, I mean, I did 17 mortal wounds to a knight in one turn, which is a lot of damage output. But generally, it aims to chip away. Like, Seer Council doesn't have a lot of damage up front, but it has a lot of damage over the course of the game because it's, it's pretty survivable. Um, the troops are also pretty survivable, and the spears usually sit in the back so that my opponent can't push out too much because if they do, then the spears go ahead and wreck them. So none of my damage is front loaded, but it's really hard to clear the damage. So it'll you'll just rack up over time. So over time, you're just trying to whittle your opponent away, kind of especially in an ITC format, winning turns more than killing your opponent's army. Just be like, I can't kill more, hold more this turn. Not necessarily killing anything of merit, just like playing okay. Yeah. Let me let me see if I understand this. Being being the least experienced player on this podcast right now. Um, so would you kind of describe it as sandpaper? So, and what I, what I mean by that is you're looking to take off edges of your opponent's army because you have such mobility and, um, pretty good durability. You're like trying to like take whatever you can from the opponent without giving them anything in return. So in essence, sandpapering at the edges of their army, um, and you can go deep if you want to, and we'll get into that in, in certain sure, matchups sure. because you got stuff that moves. But you're trying to take targets of opportunity and just win the mission a point at a time. Like get a kill, but don't give up a kill. Or maybe if you give up one, get two, something like that. And then the Harlequins are moving to the center of the board, which is allowing you some board control because they are objective secured, right? And yes. like you said, they're very difficult to shift. And they move really fast, so they get places, and they have that most important keyword, their infantry, so they move through walls and, and whatnot. Does that kind of summarize your strategy? It basically summarizes it. Um, the final piece would be the army is so fast 
and has such mobility that if my opponent has one or two units that are scary to me, I can pick them off and then play the rest of the game. So, yeah. Yeah. And you can move through models, too, with your flip belts, right? So oh, absolutely. Everything. Ignore models, ignore terrain, everything. Yeah. So I guess it's very hard to play against your army from the opponent's perspective because... There's a lot of assassination stuff you can do. Obviously, your Spears and Seer Council, they move a million inches, they fly, they can just go kill your characters or whatever key unit you have, unless it's like totally blocked out so there's no physical space to land anything there. You have the Solitaire, who's like the ultimate assassin ninja dude. And even your troops are geared up to kill characters if they want to. Absolutely. So how, how much of that is your strategy? Just, you know, ex your opponent has to, is going to slip up somewhere. They're not going to be able to be a brick the entire game because they need to spread to get some objectives. And then you can go in there and kill whatever you need to very surgically. Uh, it's a big part of the game. Mostly my opponents are good enough to where they're not just going to let me go in and for free kill something very valuable. But what it does force them to do is sit back and not really expand as much as they want to to contest my board control. So I get board control, they're punished if they want to try and take the center of the board from me, and you just kind of leverage a point or two a turn, usually. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, I really like the style of this, it's very unique. Um, out of curiosity, did you ever consider things like uh, Skyweavers, which are one of the more popular units in, in Harlequins these days, or Guardian Bods, because I feel like they would fit your army style very well? They would fit my army style very well. Um, I wanted to play Council because I feel like Council is a very strong, uh, is a very strong archetype at the moment. And when you want to go into Council, you're you're very limited in what you can do with your list because you need two battalions. Period. If you have less than that, it just doesn't function as a list. So you need that CP. So you have to take six troops. Well, Eldar troops are pretty bad in general. Uh, like Rangers, kind of just don't do that much. Um, Storm Guardians, which I have, are, are pretty worthless. They just give you the CP. So I needed to make my troops do something for me. So you're right, Guardian Bomb is pretty good as well. Um, th that would probably be able to slot into this list as well. But that's why I settle on Harlequin troops. And then the Shining Spears are just a really good synergy because uh, they can sit in the back and still go 44 inches in charge. So they don't have to expose themselves to be threatening. Right. And what about Skyweavers? Did you consider them at all? Uh, I did. I considered them a little. I mean, it's possible that uh, you swap out the Shining Spears for the Skyweavers. Um, that's possible. I think you you give up a little um, you give up a little value because you generally want to be double moving the troops, and also with the right buffs, the spears can get more durable than the Skyweavers. But you could easily subunit Skyweavers in place of the spears. I think. Gotcha. But you wouldn't go for. Like an outrider wouldn't just replace all your troops with Skyweavers, which is something I see a lot. Uh, I wouldn't, because once you run out of CP, I mean, when, once you're not getting 14 CP, the council really isn't viable, and then you drop it, and it's a completely different list. Which I think okay. three units of Skyweavers is, is perfectly fine, just not on this list. Let's, let's talk about <clears throat> what, what the CP are for, right? Because I'm sure a lot of people have not seen Windrider Host. Um, which is an important part of that, right? But let's yes. let's talk about why you feel like you need those CP, why it's so important to have double battalion. And I'm sure if you could swing it, you would do triple battalion, right? But the troops are 100%. Not good yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the key strats you want are um, you're going to be using the Seer Council strat uh, multiple turns, probably like four turns out of the game. Um, Seer Council is plus one to cast from a Warlock and from a Farseer, they're within six inches. The key combo is you cast it, use the Sir Council strat on the Farseer on a bike and the Council. And the Farseer on a bike then casts um, Focus Will, which is plus an additional plus two to cast on the Council. So the Council then casts all their powers at plus three. So Sir Council strat is a pretty fundamental part of the list. That's probably about four CP right there. Um, another key part of the list is Windrider Host. Windrider Host gets you access to Wild Rider as a Whirler trait that you can buy for your Farseer bike, which is uh, any unit from the Windrider Host within six inches of him can charge even if they fell back that turn. And since the Seer Council likes to bounce in and out of combat, you want to use that. So that's another CP. Um, and the, the big, the thing that eats through CP really quickly is the Windrider Host strat where you can uh, 
just move after you fight in combat. And it's, it's, it's actually a really broken strat because you can fight them and then you just leave before they get to fight you back. Um, so it gives you a ton of extra movement. You get the ability to interrupt if your opponent throws like four units at it, which happens quite often. They throw like four units at your Seer Council. One of them activates, kills maybe a Seer Council guy, and then you interrupt with the Seer Council for 2 CP. And then you use the strat to bounce out after you fight, and so the rest of the, his units in there just don't get to do anything. That's, yeah, and I think yeah. an important part about that stratagem is you get to make a full move, and because their movement is 16 inches, it means you can set up for the next turn really, really, really well. So if you do that interrupt and bounce, you can put the Seer Council in a completely different spot. They still have access to Quicken. So you're talking about, you know, like 60 inches of movement or something stupid. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, I think there's a game against uh, Nick on his stream where I start the turn on one side of the board with the Seer Council. I uh, bounce out of combat for 2 CP, and then I just Quicken to the other side of the board, and I go like 50 inches or something and charge. Yeah, and that was in Hammer and Anvil, so like, you know, the sides are 70 inches apart. Yeah. Uh, uh, so I think a lot of people are aware of Seer Council, that it exists, but they really have no idea of like, what it does. Um, why don't you kind of explain like how a Seer Council functions on the table, go through its powers and its abilities, and then kind of how you use it just on an overview level. Okay, so here's, uh, here's, I never deviated from these powers. These powers are fairly set. Um, Eldrad had, uh, you see, he had fortune, he had guide and he had executioner. I had the bikes here had doom and executioner. The council had, uh, protect and jinx. Uh, these for the real Eldar heads out there, protect jinx and quick and restrain the Harlequin guy, the Shadow Seer, had uh, minus one to hit on the, I don't remember what it's called, minus one to hit on the uh, Harlequin troops and double move, Twilight Pathways. And though Ivrain had the uh, Pseudo Swine, it's just a, it's just a D3 mortal wound spell. And uh, the, the solo, farce, uh, solo Warlock by himself had, um, it's, if my opponent's a combat army, it had Enhance and Drain, which is plus one or minus one to hit. And if my opponent's anything else, he had Conceal Reveal, which is minus one to hit uh, in shooting. So the combo pretty much every turn is you do the, uh, you, you stack the Seer Council strat and you stack Psychic Powers so the Seer Council casts on plus three to hit, on plus three cast. The Farseer on a bike casts a plus one to cast with a reroll because of runes. The an Eldrad usually smites the air because you can smite even if you don't have a target. And if it goes off on a five, an Eldrad gets plus one to cast for his other powers. Let me just break that down because I think that's a very not known trick, but it's really powerful for Eldrad specifically. Um, the order of operations for casting powers is you select your power, then you try to manifest it, you take your test. You know, if you're casting a smite, you need a five, and then you pick your target. And that's the true case for anything. So like if you're casting uh, Jinx on something, you don't actually have to say I'm casting Jinx on that unit of Centurions. You say I'm casting Jinx, roll, see if you get a 7. Then your opponent tries to deny it if you would like to or you can. Then you pick your target. So Actually, Nick, I'm going to interrupt you just a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You actually say you're going to cast Protect slash Jinx, and then once it manifests you select whether you're protecting or Jinxing and the target. Oh, so that's even more Eldar nonsense, but yeah, it is nonsense. Any power, not just Eldar stuff. Uh, yeah, work time and chaos. I could say I'm casting work time, and then my opponent would have to de opt to deny it if he can, and then you pick the unit you're going to work time. So what Jack's doing here is he's smiting, even though obviously nothing's within 18 inches or nothing's in line of sight, whatever. But he's still allowed to cast the power. Uh, your opponent can opt to deny it if he cares, and then assuming it goes off. It was a power that was successfully manifested. It just failed to have a target. But that means since you successfully manifested a power, all his subsequent powers are going to be plus one to cast, which is an Eldred rule. So it's a really cool trick there, smiting the errors, as he calls it. Yeah. So the end result is that the council casts three of their powers of plus three. Uh, that's usually Quicken, Protect, and Jinx, which is super strong. Uh, then the Farseer casts Doom at a plus one with a reroll, and Eldrad casts Guide and Fortune at plus one with a reroll. 
So your powers are super reliable, and you still have a, a, a CP reroll in there as well. So your powers are very reliable, uh, which is key for, for this army. In fact, I played it before you got Focus Will, and uh, you can just fail powers and lose the game. And that's so much less likely with the new with the Psychic Awakening for Elva. So you have a lot of mortal wounds. Like you said, you have, uh, your council does a D6, might assuming it's a decent strength. Um, then you have Eldrad and the Farseer, both knowing Executioner. Uh, it's interesting that you double down Executioner instead of like Doom or Fortune. I think those are often considered more powerful spells. Um, we can touch on that in a second. And then of course, Cat Lady has her Ghetto Smite. Then all these Smites are plus one to cast. So, or plus three in the case of the council, if you yeah. cast focus school on them. Um, so you can get by the fact that Smite gets harder and harder to cast as you go on. Um, so that's really, like you said, you did 17 mortal wounds to a knight in one turn. Uh, yeah. You can really see how. it's it's not That's not him rolling crazy hot. That's him just kind of functioning like Thousand Suns in a really weird way. Yeah, because the, the order of operations is Eldrad Smites, then, uh, then the Harlequin person Smites, then Cat Lady smites, uh, Ivrain smites, then the Council smites at plus three, then Eldrad uses Executioner, <laughs> then Shards of Light if you have it, then Ivrain's Ghetto smite, and by the time you're done with all that, you know, that's like 15 to 20 mortal wounds. It's, it's a yeah, lot. It's crazy. Um, so if you do all that, though, there's definitely opportunity cost. You know, if you're casting Smite, you're not casting, let's say, Twilight Pathways or something. If you're casting Smite and Execution of Eldred, you're not casting Guide or Fortune. How do you balance what to cast defense or buff-wise versus damage-wise? Um, so it depends pretty heavily on the board state, but a good rule of thumb is, like, if the council doesn't have to move twice, which happens probably about half of the turns of the game, then you Smite with it. If um, if you really want to double down and start killing things with Eldrad, a lot of the time you can give up on uh, Guide or Fortune in order to double down on Mortal Wounds. But you look at the board and you say, do I need that unit gone more than I need maybe Fortune on the unit that's hiding this turn? Like, if nothing's going to be targeted, that's yeah, pretty easy to go in with uh, Executioner. Things like that. Um, but usually you make a decision this turn, okay, my turn, this turn is going to be about smiting the heck out of my opponent until there's nothing left. And I'm going to give up on a little bit of value, because you only have to give up on a spell or two. I'm going to give up on a little bit of value in order to maximize mortal wound output to like a tough unit, maybe a scent unit or something like that that's in the center of the board. But you, you can definitely make a wrong call there and you know not have guide when you need it or not have fortune. But if you just make sure that when you're not casting fortune, you know maybe you're... you're uh, Sir Council's in combat or, or, or hidden, you're probably not giving up too much value for it. Yeah, so one thing it sounds like what your list is trying to do is almost use your, your bikes and your harlequins to, to wrap something in your opponent's only like an intercessor squad or whatever, and just be the closest unit to your opponent that can't be shot because it's wrapping something, and then your characters stand behind and just smite spam. Uh, and then if it's the Seer Council wrapping something, you kind of they countercharge with their whole army, and then you just leave, as you explained earlier. Yeah. Uh, and, and if it's the Harlequins wrapping something, maybe they die. They die, and it's okay. You have more Harlequins and Spears in the Council. That's not integral to the strategy. Uh, is that pretty much your your goals? Like that one of your things? That you that is that is my main goal usually. And the reason I have Harlequins in there is because always wrapping with uh, my Seer Council usually leads to Seer Council getting whittled away. So it's nice to have another unit that can go in and wrap when I need to wrap. Mm, yeah, um, that's really and the Seer Council, in this list, nothing reaches out and touches your opponent past 12 inches. So the fact that Seer Council can move after you fight means you can wheel your opponent away by going in, bouncing out, going in, bouncing out, which is a good way to get points against a Death Ball-style army like uh, Reviathan, anything like that, anything that punishes you for being too close to it. The Seer Council can go in, pick some points out, and then hop behind the wall or something. Right. And I guess from a mission perspective, uh, like if you just take a Seer Council, you don't want to leave it right there in front of your opponent's army. You want to leave with it, like you said. Um, but that means you're not really contesting his objectives or anything like that. So you're, it's harder to get hold more, harder to get the bonus, that kind of stuff. Or if you do go for those plays with your Council, your Council's going to get whittled away. So having something suicidal almost like those Harlequins, yeah. expendable is a better word. Uh, to, to go get mission points and not be 
a huge loss if you lose it. I think that's really clever. Yeah, that was the main idea behind it. Cool. Well, before we talk, I have another question, but before we do that, um, we have to pay the bills. So we're going to run a quick ad for you guys about an exciting sponsor. So here it goes. This episode is brought to you by HP Instant Ink. No one is reading your mind, but HP Instant Ink knows when your printer is running low and sends you new cartridges. So you never have to think about ink. Save up to 50%. You'll pay less than $5 a month for ink and never run out again. Find out if your printer is eligible and enroll today at hpinstantink.com. Conditions apply. For details, visit hp.com slash Spotify. And we're back. Uh, so one of the things I wanted to point out, and a lot of people probably don't understand this, but your list is very good at denying kills. And the reason why it is, is like you said, you can buff up those Harlequins, but when you stack all those Eldar buffs on a Seer Council unit, and then you choose the engagement with it, it's very, very difficult to kill. Yeah. Do you want to go through some of that? Like, just sort of the stats and why it's so defensive? Sure. So the main thing is every single unit in the army has an involve. Uh, four up or better. Uh, and that is, that's, it's hard to overestimate like how much that shuts down your opponent's long-range shooting sometimes. If your opponent just has LAS cannons and they're firing into a, the only visible unit is a uh, is a spear unit with a two-up invuln and a reroll on the sergeant, their shooting doesn't do anything. If they're firing um, minus one to hit, minus one to wound, thunderfires into a uh, unit of Harlequin troops as a three-up invuln, they're not really killing that much. So the fact that everything, especially in Marine meta now, where everything's minus two or minus three, well, that's going away a little. But in that meta where everything's minus two or minus three, having just invulns as your saves gives you a lot of value. Uh, in addition, everything in the army goes where I want it to. It's so fast. It all ignores terrain. Like Every single model pretty much doesn't care about uh, terrain, doesn't care about models, nothing like that. So it's pretty easy to hide. Uh, at LVO, there were plenty of walls in the on the board that regular units, even infantry, couldn't cross because they were counted as like like pseudo hills, kind of like they were impassable. But every unit in my army could pass them, so that was pretty powerful. So I can hide behind those, use those to stage attacks for them. Um, so a combination of everything is involves. Uh, they're hard to hit because everything's minus one to hit. Uh, the Alatoc Council can be concealed for minus two. They can lightning fast for minus three. Uh, and the fact I can just put my entire army where I want it out of line of sight, that means the army tends to survive longer than you'd think it would. Yeah, as someone who's shot Thunderfire cans into these Harlequins expecting, oh, toughest three idiots, my Thunderfire's just going to pick them up for easy kills. It's not like that. It's really not. Yeah, it's usually uh, kill one or two. Yeah, the minus one to wound... Sucks. It means your Thunderfire wounds them on fours. Um, it kind of it functionally makes the Harlequins as tough to kill as Rax against the Thunderfire Cannon because your functionally toughness five because um, the minus one to wound just makes their toughness equal to your strength essentially in this instance. And they still have four Benvol, so it, they're sneaky, very hard to kill. Yeah, uh, definitely can catch people off guard with that. And any any points your opponents invest into Laz cannons or missile launchers or anything like that is just wasted, pretty much. Yeah, because and then it, yeah. And then you also have, you know, fortune uh, and protect that you can put either on the spears or on the council, which makes both those units very difficult to dislodge once they've got a, you know, like you said, the, with the Exarch on the spears, they get a two plus involve versus shooting. And then you can reroll that um, so you can slough off all kinds of shots. And, and then they get a three plus involve with under protect, right? And then yeah. the council is interesting in that they have an involve in combat too, which the spears don't. So if they get protect and they get fortune and they have three wounds apiece, like it is miserable to chew through nine council bikes. Like it just is not a fun thing to chew on. Yeah. Yeah. And the reason that I have them as a lay talk, which is sort of everyone I've told that to is kind of been confused by it. Uh, the reason that they're a lay talk is so you can conceal them and in a pinch, conceal them and lightning fast them for minus three to hit, which is pretty good against shooting. That, that largely makes them immune to shooting uh, at range. And then you can put protect and fortune on 
the spears. So both units are really hard to kill. Um, so the, the, the reason they're a lay talk is so that I can have another elder unit that wants buffs if in, if I need it. Yeah. I think a lot of players either run like the, a custom craft world with a, with a seer council either for extra range or AP one shurikens and then plus one to, or counselor ones is twos, children of prophecy, or they'll run Sam hand. So you can do the advance and charge. You've gone for the more defensive route with alien top instead though. Um, that's really clever because, like you said, it lets you spread those buffs out because you are, you know, one unit's minus a million to hit and one unit's protecting fortune. Did you ever miss having that children of not having children of prophecy and better shurikens? Or was there ever time you wanted to advance and charge and go 44 instead of 32 and then charge something? Or does it not matter? So I never wanted the council to advance 44 because I already have same hand on the spears. So I have that in my army if I need it. Um, I think it's mm -hmm. I think a lay talk and children of prophecy and the extra minus one on shurikens are even. I think you could take either and it would be roughly the same power level bullets. Um I never missed children of prophecy. I think I failed like a couple inconsequential powers on threes when I shouldn't have if I had children of prophecy. And the minus one is pretty great. But with Doom, it kind of alleviates that somewhat. Basically, I think they're roughly even. I do have a question, though. Would you give any consideration to the Relic Hunters um, Craft World Attribute, the one that Sean Naden used that gave you an extra attack when you're within, when any model in your unit's within three inches of an objective? So, I think that I think that's really good. I don't think it's good in this list, and the reason why that is is because Council isn't a combat unit. Like, you can fight in combat, but mostly it's a shooting unit, and then it uses combat to do a little extra damage and bounce. Um... So, Let's go into that a little bit, just yeah. to elaborate. Because I think a lot of people assume Council's a combat unit, um, and you just said it's not. So why isn't it? So it does far more damage in shooting than in combat. Like, it, it, it with spears, it has half as much damage from just the spears as it does in its entire combat phase. And then 40 shuriken shots with usually reroll to hit, reroll to wound, jinx on your opponent is super strong. In addition, Council's just not really a grindy army that can survive very well in a grindy combat like Sense or Paladins or Possessed or something like that. They usually want to do their damage and then mostly use combat as a way to reposition with the Windrider host stratagem. If you use them as a combat army, they just don't do that much. Like, they're 18 attacks for a 9-man unit, 18 attacks that wound on 2's D3 damage, 0 AP. They're not that great in combat. They're fine. But they're not that good. Um, but the shooting is with Doom and Jinx and everything. That's That really is what, what does the work. And then you charge in to clean something up and then bounce. Let's talk about that. I bet a lot of people don't know about the range Singing Spears. Yes. So, so um, Singing Spears uh, is 12-inch range, Assault 1. So you can advance and shoot it just fine because you're Eldar with uh, Battle Focus. So Singing Spear is one shot, 12-inch range, uh, always wounds on a 2, AP 0, D3 damage. So one, and that, that increases their damage output tremendously, because with Guide and, oh, so they don't get rerolls to hit in combat, which sucks. Um, with Guide, uh, that's just 9 hits, probably around 8 wounds, that just, you know, if you have Jinx on your opponent and they're a tank, they're taking half of those. Those are D3 damage apiece. That can almost kill a tank by itself. The standard combo is you put Doom on one tank, Jinx on the other. You fire all the shurikens with rerolls to wounds, so you get the Rens on one tank, and you throw all your spears and charge the other one with Jinx. And so it has a four up against all your spears. You almost kill it with just the shooting. You charge it and finish it off and bounce 22 inches out. And that's usually the combo you go for to kill two things. Interesting that the LA talk makes a lot more sense now because if that's how you're using them, like you're using them to shoot, charge, and then bounce out 16 or 20 inches, you're now getting to use your LA talk bonus again because you're not sitting close to your opponent and you're going to be basically 12 inches away. Um, and like you said, you stack conceal and lightning fast, and suddenly that unit's a problem, right? Yeah. It's not a, it feels very durable with a three up invul and five up feeling the pain and all of that. But in a grindy combat, you get whittled down very quickly. So you have to pick your moments to stay in. You can't just use it as a in your opponent's face bully unit. Yeah, it's it's not like it dies in one turn. It's I've never seen anyone kill an entire council in one turn. 
but you losing like two or three guys here, two or three guys there is not sustainable. The council is something you need to have functioning for most of the game, if not all of the game. Yeah. So if you use it aggressively on like turn one, turn two, it's not really going to be functional by turn four. And that's bad because there's still three more turns to play. Yeah, that's basically it. If you get to the end game, there's no more powerful unit turns four, five, and six than an eight-man, nine-man, ten-man council. That unit just takes over the game because it goes 32 inches a turn, it kills like two to three things a turn. It's super strong. But turn early, if you get let it get whittled away, you might not have anything for the end. So this is very much uh, an army that wants to play all six turns of the game, not trying to land an alpha strike and end it early. Is that fair? Absolutely. Yeah. And those style of armies I find are much more consistent as well because when you go for an all-in alpha strike, if it doesn't work because dice happen or your opponent has an answer for it in his list or something, uh, you know, you're kind of all in and you just lost. Yeah. So having an army that plays all six turns gives you a lot more room for exposing mistakes on your opponent's half. And also um, it's not a uh, strategy that has a linchpin that can just fail. It's more, uh, it's fail points are much like, more minor, like the only way it really fails is like a hundred things go wrong instead of one important thing. Yeah, and you can, once you get some experience with the list, you can get around a lot of the fail points. Like if you fail Quicken, but you're nearby some random unit, you can use that to bounce behind terrain with the with the stratagem so that you're not just stuck out in the open. If you fail your buff powers to keep your unit alive, then you maybe change plans and you just hide the unit instead of um, going in the way you wanted to. Stuff like that. You can mitigate failing powers most of the time. Yeah. No, I think that's really clever. Because uh, like the Psychic Armies, Eldar, Chaos, etc. Uh, if you're relying on passing a warp time to make a whole play happen, you fail. You know, that's not a winning strategy. That's an inconsistent strategy. So you being an army that has two multiple move powers, the Harlequins and the Seer Councils, I can imagine so tempting to just fling the Harlequins off the table and then, oops, I failed Twilight Pathways, because that's just a six. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. CP reroll. Like, that fails all the time, I imagine. That failed, so, that failed quite a lot. Um, how do you cope with that? I, like, with the council, that makes a lot of sense. Like, try to position yourself near some crap to at least bounce back to safety off of. But, like, with Harlequins, how do you deal with that? Well, usually they're there to take the center of the table, as I've already said. So, what it maybe you don't get all the way to your opponent and wrap the unit you wanted, but they're still going to take your opponent's entire turn to deal with, no matter what. So you uh, auto-advance them six inches out. That's 14-inch move uh, out of the terrain. You get to the center of the board, and if you, you really do want to pass the double move, but if you don't, the unit is still just going to body block your opponent the way you want them to. Gotcha. So it, it's almost like at least you're still doing your job. If yeah. You, if you it's just like less powerful. Yeah, it's not the game is over, but it's like the unit I wanted to get to my opponent maybe wrap up forced them to spend even more resources to deal with it, just made them spend slightly less resources to deal with it. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. So what about the defensive powers? I imagine it's very hard to feel like protect or quicken with your council with uh, the plus three to cast potentially, but you have to choose between focus will and conceal. So if you're relying on conceal to... Uh, No, actually, I have focus will on my uh, farce. Never mind. Yeah, that's that's why every every casting slot has a has a role. Okay. By the way, um, with Mike's, I have a, I also play council. Focus will on the farseer is really good because you get to use the farseer reroll to make sure focus will goes off. Absolutely. So that's that's actually pretty a little bit of nuance that a lot of people probably miss because I started out when I first started playing uh, council. I would put focus will on a warlock, and with my thinking being. Their smite is no good. It's a one damage smite. I'm replacing a smite and losing a, a potential smite on a farseer is a, sort of an opportunity cost you're paying. But I, having that reroll on focus will with the farseer ability, the runes of power or whatever it's called, is just worth its weight in gold. Yeah. So, and also, it's the guy that's getting the uh, plus one on Seer Council. So now you're casting it with a reroll and plus one. So that makes yeah. it a lot more. Uh, Especially, I guess Eldred can't cast it. So, yeah, but, no, because he's not in the same craft world. So. Yeah, yeah. That uh, no. Plus, I also like Eldred Smite just to, you know, just to get the plus one on the other powers like we discussed earlier. Right. Um, so, what about like Fortune? I mean, Fortune's going off on Eldred. He's probably going to have a plus one, and Eldred's got rerolls. Yes. Uh, but stuff fails. Still. Yeah. Like, no. Absolutely. Failing. 
Right. Like, especially Doom. I guess Doom, what I found was more important when I was playing Elder Unfortunate in a lot of cases, because if I was setting up to, let's say, kill a big, scary unit of Centurions or a Knight or something, and then I failed Doom, well, shit. So, yeah. So, Doom is a pretty big one. I have that on a six with reroll one or both dice. That is probably, you're right, the, uh, the worst fail point of the list is, is failing Doom. Because you, you get Jinx off most of the time, you're casting a plus three. So you get that off most of the time. So at least you have half of your damage combo all, almost all the time. But yeah, cast, casting uh, Doom on a six with a reroll, it's, it's pretty good. But it's not yeah, always going to go off. Right. But, it's pretty good, but it's not guaranteed. So when stuff fails, which is, you know, let's say over a six-round tournament, you're casting powers 36 turns. You know, it's not zero out of thirty-six percent fail rate. It's like you'll fail yeah. a couple times here and there. I have insulated my army against it a bit. Sir Council is good because it always wins on twos, so you don't need Doom as much for all that. In addition, the Harlequins just have a passive reroll wounds aura off the Troop Master, so you don't need it for that. So it's mitigated somewhat by that. Well, one thing, uh, not only is it mitigated that way, but w one of the design elements that I'm picking up in your army is you've got a lot of plus ones to cast, a lot of rerolls, a lot of <clears throat> strategies baked in. Like the linchpin of your army is those spell or the, those psychic powers going off, but you've pretty much mitigated, I think, as much as you can by having Aldrad, Evrain, who gets a plus one. I know none of her spells are like super important but you've got a cp refill reroll seer console focus well like you've stacked i think about everything you can stack to make sure those spells go off i can't think of anything else that you could really Except do children of prophecy yeah yeah, children well, yeah, of prophecy, yeah. Let, let's talk about children of prophecy for one minute because i think that that is actually overrated but yeah I, i'd like to hear your guys's opinion on it so so I agree with you, actually. I think it is overrated. I think the much better... I would take it, the Seer Council, if I was running a custom craft world. But the reason I'd be running custom craft world is for the minus one AP on shurikens for the Seer Council. That, that's really why I'd be doing it. And then you take uh, Children of Prophecy because you get a second one, so you might as well pay. It, it's one of those things that's hard to place value on because you're not going to see any return on investment like 99% of the time. Like the odds of you passing a power or failing a power with ones involved, that turning them into twos would have gone made the difference of those powers passing. It you know you have to roll some very specific die rolls, but when it does matter, I imagine it's gonna it's gonna feel like it matters a lot. But that's what CP are for too. You know, worst comes to worst, you can just re-roll a die. So the odds of it mattering and then you're not having CP or the CP rolling into the same exact result, really, really, really low. So yeah, I think it's it's like buying a really 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 expensive premium insurance policy. Are you going to need it? Probably not ever. You could probably skimp a little here, but you know, I'm not one to advise you on your risk tolerance. Yeah, right. It, it's that, not be, like, that being said, yeah. I I play. I decided to go against playing Children of Prophecy at LVO, and it did cost me a game where I failed. Um, I I failed Focus Will on a on my Farseer with the Seer Council strat up. Uh, onto my council and then my council still failed their quicken even with a plus one and a cp reroll and that cost me the game so it, oh, yeah. it, I, I failed three or two inch charge or three inch charges by rolling double yeah, one. yeah yeah it happens it yeah. does happen so you have to you have to be ready for that so i guess like you said children of prophecy is a very expensive very very expensive um insurance that only covers you you know in one game, probably yeah, out of and six it's, games. It's super niche as well. Because generally changing ones to twos is still not that good. Like usually it's not. Because you can get plus three to cast, it it makes the minimum the lowest you can roll a four. So that's pretty good if you're plus three auto cast on sevens. But otherwise it, it's still you're still running a risk of failing powers because if you roll a one and a two, well that's Still, just a four. Like you still fail Doom, you still fail all that stuff, and you're going to reroll the one anyway. So, like, it, it's very niche. It, when it helps, it really helps. But you are giving up value by including it in your list because you are giving up either a lay talk, a different craft, custom craft world power, um, or same hand, or something like that. And I think it, it goes to the style of your list too. You don't need 
You're like if powers fail, it's okay. Like you said, you have built-in redundancies and, and backup plans, and that's because you're not going for huge haymaker plays. Like you're not always trying to one-shot the night every turn, or, or so to speak. You're like you said, you did 17 mortals to it. Like it's okay to take two turns because the army can be so fast and durable. You can just buy your time with it and then play for a two-turn kill instead of a one-turn kill, which allows you to fail powers. So yeah, it's kind of built in like that. And the main way that if you want to run Sirkhouse, you should think about it is the main the main way it's durable is with its mobility, because it always can be in the right place to stay alive from your opponent. The secondary way for it to stay alive, if that plan has failed, is for it to be tanky with powers. Oh, I think that's that's an important piece that maybe I missed when I play because a lot of times I'm relying on just the mathematics of all of those stacking buffs. But I bet there's probably a lot of opportunity for me to play better by not putting my Seer Council in riskier positions, like putting them in safer positions, right? <clears throat> to take away the just the dice math. Yeah, and a lot of your positioning you can do without passing a power or anything. It's just automatic. Between the move after you fight or the move, you know, advance 22 inches, you can generally be where you need to be to be away from your opponent's return shots. And then, as I said, if, if that plan has failed, then you have to rely on the unit being durable. Interesting. Yeah. No, I, I like it. So let's switch gears a second uh, and talk about how this list functions in other formats in the new ITC format. Because it was super hyper-designed for LVO, which was great since that's yeah. the tournament took it to. Um, it had... Great interactions with the terrain. Like you said, it had, LVO had those weird passable cliff things, um, and you ignore those with Harlequin rules and fly keywords. So great tech there. You knew you had that ruin in your deployment zone, so amazing use of that. If you don't have that stuff, like let's just say you go to like a Nova open format, which just has two L's and some other stuff, or maybe a Depticon with kind of like just see what table you got kind of terrain. Uh, how would this list change your function? So I've played the list in Nova L's, and you can usually find a place to hide them, but there's an extra fail point there and that you sometimes you just can't. And if you go second, you can lose the, the council. So that, uh, that's an extra fail point. Most of the time you can find a place to hide it. Sometimes you can't, uh, it's like failing a power. Sometimes there's just a fail rate. Um, so it gets a little worse there. I think the new, the ITC style deployment is going to become more and more the norm. So That's going to be really good for this list. The deploy everything and no chance of season, all that you mean? Uh, what do you mean that terrain? I stuff? meant the terrain, but also okay. also the knowing where you're going like in the turn order, that's very good. No no chance of seizing. Um although that does lower some of the value of Phantasm. Like Phantasm off of Eldar lets you redeploy some units, and that's super strong in the list if you get seized on. You can deploy everything on the line if you're going first. And then if you get seized on, you just move it back behind a behind a road. It's fine. Yeah. So uh, with the new ITC missions, I guess, being more board control based, new secondaries, all that, I'm assuming you, you've at least looked at them. I've looked, uh, yeah, I, I do know what the, uh, the missions are. I haven't played council on them, though. Gotcha. How do you feel your list does uh, in that format? I think it does perfectly fine. I think it does about the same, honestly. Not better or worse, just, you know, just fine at it. Just about the same. I don't think anything has a real nasty impact on it. Okay. Oh, that's good. Do you think that the, the I think the meta is going to naturally get more aggressive because as the attacker you need to get a ton of points early on um, to make up for the fact that you have top a turn and you're stopped with it. Yeah. So and and also board control secondaries are more achievable early. So does the meta getting faster essentially more aggressive? Uh, does that impact your list at all? You think? I think it'll improve the amount of points my opponents get. I don't think it'll improve. How many points I get, so that doesn't help. But if you if you just kind of weather your opponent's storm for a bit and then and get out ahead of them later, I think you can. I think you can win just fine. Okay, so you're not too concerned. At all. I think you're going to pick second ninety percent of the time, though ninety five. Right. I mean, I imagine this list, the faster lists generally like going second because they have so much more control over who holds more. They can always position themselves to get kill more because they know they can get to wherever they need to to kill exactly more than your opponent did that kind of thing um so going second and then also second turn is amazing with ground control if you have a fast army yeah yeah second turn 
I mean, the army does actually get better in this mission in second turn. It gets worse at first. Um, I, I think it, it about balances out. I, I still think the army's fine. Okay. Um, I had one more question. I forgot, though. Uh, John, do you have anything? I've got a quick one. Um, let's talk about briefly other things that you considered putting in the list. Because, uh, you know, you're playing what two factions um you've got a lot of options right so yes what else what else did you consider dropping in like did you consider replacing a vrain with another farseer for example or anything along those lines well um i mean i played against nick a bunch with it so as he can attest i went through a number of different iterations uh one i was into pretty heavily was a whole bunch of tanks and then the council the tank should be fire support and the council would just kind of do its thing in the center of the board and occupy my opponent's time. And the tanks would shoot from way, way from downtown and just kind of help the council out. And that, that list was pretty good when you were winning. It felt really strong. Um, but once you got behind, if they started to shoot out your tanks from under you, the list just could not come back. So when you were, when you were ahead, the list was super strong. And when you were behind, the list was pretty weak. So I had to cut them and put in stuff that just lived for longer, could hide more. Um, Ivrain as a Farseer? Uh, no, so I have all the Farseer powers I want. I did have two Farseers instead of Eldrad and a Farseer, and I swapped in Eldrad, and I'm pretty happy with him. Because failing, failing Guide is uh, surprisingly bad in that list. Because then the damage, your damage output just drops off. Um, I forget what I swapped in Ivrain for, but I'm sure Shu took the place of like most of a, a Shining Spear unit or something that I cut. Um, just two Shining Spear units is kind of awkward, and just having that persistent mortal wound output out of the brain is pretty strong, so I, I like the inclusion there. But yeah, that was where the list was originally, was, you know, three um, three Night Spinners, three Fire Prisms, and Council, plus the support. And that um, was any, a, thought, yeah. any thoughts to replacing the Storm Guardians with Rangers so that you can deep strike them and not give up a turn on Kill One? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean that was that's a thought. They're not going to be a laytalk, unfortunately. So that's that's a little bit of value lost. In addition, I just absolutely needed those extra twenty something points. So I cut uh, cut the rangers for storm guardians, and they were all. Well, right. you, could, you could always cut like a harlequin from each squad or something. No? Ugh, this, I mean, yes, I could. They, yes. you could easily swap the storm guardians for rangers, and it would be it would be totally fine. Okay, and then any thought to? Um moving more of the list around and getting one guardian bomb in there for maybe uh, a storm guardian unit. So I don't hate the call, the idea of a guardian bomb. Uh, it, it really works in the list. The problem is, and I, I thought about this, it works about the same as a Harlequin unit, the same job just comes up the center of the board is really annoying to kill, kills, kills some stuff, but I have to put Eldar powers into it instead of Harlequin powers into it. So I'd rather just, and they're both troops, so they're both around the same points cost to swap out for a regular squad troops. So if I had to put in a Guardian Bomb, I'd probably just put in uh, a foot troop unit instead, a Harlequin troop unit. So basically, you would find the points by downgrading a squad of Harlequin, a large squad of Harlequins to like five naked dudes, and you would turn eight Storm Guardians into 20 Guardians to make your blob. And functionally, that Guardian Bomb is the same as your 12-man Harlequin squad that you're replacing, but because you're already straining your Eldar powers between the Spears and the Council, you can't also add in the Guardians there. Is that right? That's right. Although, if that's what you have, like those are the models you have, that list will run perfectly fine. Gotcha. Good to know. So I remember my question that I forgot minutes ago. Um, this is our first podcast we're recording since the Space Marine FAQ has released. Uh, we haven't really seen the impact of the meta at the time of this recording, like in real event-wise, but what are your thoughts on this list uh, with respect to the Space Marine FAQ? Well, the really awkward part of this list was that Space Marines was probably the worst matchup, and because they're so, I mean, we can talk about that later. But they were the worst matchup. Um, they were they were still fine in it, but it was it was rough. And you've seen that list everywhere, obviously. So Space Marines getting nerfs is very good for this list. It's extremely good, actually. Um, all they would have to do is take uh, do something for Chaplain Dreads, and the list suddenly I think is might maybe even favor against Space Marines. I don't know. So it's a it's a big deal. It's a big deal for uh, the list that Space Marines got nerfed. 
you know, in hindsight, that was kind of a silly question. It's like space Marines got worse. You think <laughs> it was got better, and you were like, yes, well, yes. <laughs> I, I mean, do think the list got better, but I think it got better more than other lists in the game. Often, fair enough. I mean, um, everybody got better through the nerfing of space marines. Let's be honest, right? Like that's. I, I think I'm thinking specifically like you're going to see a lot less imperial fist armies or something like that, which can just blow you off the table turn one if they have first turn. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, like Manny Chima's list. Right, right. Like that's just not going to be a list anymore, really. Yeah. So Manny, it, it opens up more play for armies like yours going second against it. Yeah, against Manny Chima's list, it was literally if I went first, I won because I just tied up. He has no way to pull me out. And if I go second, I have no army left after turn one. So I'm glad that matchup's gone at least. <laughs> yeah. It's not like you can even reserve because. No, because then I just lose what's on the board. You'll get tabled. Yeah. Uh, it's so bad. <laughs> if I go second, if I go first, I just get to quicken up and touch everything and the game kind of ends. Right. So um, I think that that's kind of it for me on the, the strategy portion of this episode. I have a lot of matchup-specific questions. I think one of the unique things about your army is that it has so many options all at once, and then picking out which ones to do and exercising restraint on not doing all of them and overextending yourself. Uh, that comes down to more scenario-based stuff, like what is this exact board state you're looking at. So matchup-specific stuff I think would be really interesting. Yeah, uh, John, do you have any other questions? No, I, I, I'm excited to get into episode two, and and... Patrons will get to hear episode two, but I think this is going to be one of those episodes um, where there's a lot of detail-orientated stuff that's going to be really interesting to talk about, right? Because the matchups aren't as straightforward as, well, you prioritize killing the sense because the sense kill you, right? <laughs> like, yeah. you, have, you have so many, like, like Nick said, you have so many options when you're playing this army and so many places to put your psychic uh, powers and positioning and you know when you send what in you know like are you sending your spears in earlier are you keeping them for late game blah 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 like i just think it's going to be a pretty fascinating discussion because i this list to me is one of the most interesting lists that we've had on because it's just so i don't know it's just so flexible i guess is how i would describe it yeah it's a, it's a lot of fun to play once you get it down though. okay cool well <clears throat> um I guess before we move into that, I am going to send out a call to action to you guys listening to this podcast. If you could do me a solid favor and like us on Facebook and leave us a review, um, if you go through the process of doing that, Nick and I have recorded a special goals-orientated podcast that we will send you for free. All you have to do is email us at aow40k at gmail.com a screenshot of your review of us on Facebook, um, and we'll, we'll send you that podcast for free. And the other thing I want to point out is if you guys could do me a solid favor, um, Jack is actually responsible for this. He helped me create a new podcast called 40K Today, which is a daily 15-minute digest of what's going on in the world of 40K. It covers both the competitive scene and hobby and other um, narrative type things. So we, we cover the entire gamut of 40K. Uh, it's kind of like a daily magazine um, for 40K, and it's only 15 minutes. And we get interviews with all kinds of really cool people. Um, so yeah, if you guys could check that out and again, Jack is the one that came up with the idea for the podcast, right? So, uh, he's sort of the perfect person to, to talk about it, but, um, that's at 40 K today.com. We're also on iTunes. Uh, give us a listen. It would mean a lot to me cause it's my new project and I love it. So anyway, Nick, did you have anything else before we go? No, that's it for me. Thanks for listening guys. Peace. Like the strategy discussion you heard? Want to hear more about the tactics of this list? Sign up for our Patreon at AOW40K.com where we go deep into details of optimal play. This has been Art of War, a strategy and tactics podcast for Warhammer 40K. Hosted by Nick Nanavati and John Damaris. Produced by Seamus Ronan. Find us at AOW40K.com. And of course, connect on Facebook. Just look for AOW40K. 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 Till next time.